All right, RVA, welcome to the uh, season opening podcast here, and we're going to uh, celebrate opening day 2012 by looking back at the season that just ended, 2011, and uh, me and my co-host, my co-host and I, I should say, have been uh, have been out at a bar this afternoon separately, but we are all ready to go. I was uh, chugging water in preparation for this podcast, but our co-host, Jeff Hobbs, was chugging something else. Jeff, welcome. Well, one of us had to be a man. <laughs> one of us had to be coherent. I'm doing just fine, thank you. And, and you're already chippy. All right. <laughs> you drank water. You expect to get off scot-free on this? <laughs> So uh, it is opening day, and uh, you, of course, being asked backward, wanted to uh, do the 2011 podcast today. <laughs> this is the perfect day for it. It's opening day. Look back at the last season. What's your problem? No, uh, no problem at all. I'm just preparing the listenership here for the uh, <laughs> the 45 minutes of self-ass grabbery that's going to happen here. <laughs> it might be epic. Well. Before we talk about that, let's set the scene. Some of you won't want to relive this journey here, but uh, unfortunately, we do have Jeff Hobbs on the line, manager of the Arizona Greenbacks. Let's let's start with, um, you know, by by recapping the 2010 playoffs, which might give some people a better sense of Schadenfreude in your direction. There. <laughs> okay. So you came into this season, and uh, I think we detailed on the last podcast, uh, the last one that we did of a replay, that you lost in the first round to Baltimore, and you were fairly scarred by that, although I've heard you in worse shape over the RBA. Um, and Chad went on to win the, uh, the plaque in his fourth title overall. And so we came into this season with Chad having four plaques and um, nobody else having two. Uh, so... Kind of a race to see who was going to, uh, who might get that second plaque, and of course somebody did in the end. Um, do you have, uh, so first of all, tell us what you have in terms of analysis. Did you have some pre, uh, pre-season rankings, or is it just one set of rankings? Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the time of the podcast when Jeff hits the mute button or <laughs> unplugs his, oh, oh, you're there, hey. I'm back, I'm back. Uh, no, I, I do tend to do that about once a podcast, but uh, sometimes twice. Uh, I do I do, I do, do have post-draft rankings. I suppose we should start uh, at the draft itself, right? Yeah, let's just, let's just mention, I guess, um, as a general perception, there were some teams who were looking to rebuild. Uh, particularly, I would say, Baltimore and Fort Duquesne were on a rebuilding trajectory. Baltimore had turned over basically their entire draft. To, to get that championship-making, you know, runner-up team in 2010. And uh, and Fort Duquesne, as we detailed in the 2010 podcast, probably had the best team in the league in 2010, and they, uh, they decided to rebuild after putting that together. So two really good teams from 2010 were looking to rebuild. And um, before the draft, the, the big trades were, were really – Fort Duquesne was offloading some of its talent, including Zach Greinke and uh, another starting pitcher, Edward Jackson, who ended up with Elm Grove. Um, just a minor player movement, mostly uh, Fort Duquesne, SoCal, and Elm Grove. Um, so that was leading up to the draft. I guess, uh, do you have any memories leading up to uh, this draft? It was pretty momentous for you, I guess. 
Well, not so, not so much. I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it was a, I, I mean, I knew I was going to be contending, uh, but I knew a lot of other teams would be too. Okay. So, well, it was for those of us who just went through the 2012 draft. We should remember that the 2011 draft was probably one of the better drafts we've seen. At least at the very top, there were some sought after talent coming into that. Uh, you weren't going to get it because you had obviously made the playoffs in 2011, but there were teams in position to get some marquee talent. I think you're one year ahead of everything. We're talking about the 2011 draft and the 2010 season. What? I think you said. I think you were just saying that you, you would talk. To, you were talking about the 2012 draft. This was the 2011 draft. I said for those of us who have just gone through the 2012 draft and didn't have any talent in it. Oh, I never mind. Okay, whatever. Um. Oh boy. <laughs> well, see, this is why water was over here. See, I know what I'm saying. Well, in the 2011 draft, last season's draft. Yes, a year ago. A year ago, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a pretty good draft uh, for sure. Uh, obviously, some big names. Um, and the cat was let out of the bag a little bit early. Uh, oh, yeah, my panties got a little bunched, right? Yeah, they did, they yeah. did, as they so often do. Um, not not a fan of that. Really not a fan. Uh, State College took Jason Hayward with the number one pick. Correct. And, you know, that was pretty, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <that> was, <laughs> what good analysis, boy. This is why people tune in. Yeah, yeah, I do what I can. Uh, Here's a little tidbit for, for people that's a little bit more eloquent than that was, that was, yeah. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, after uh, Hayward, of course, recently, uh, I guess around the 2012 draft or maybe just before, was traded from State College. Uh, over to Pittsburgh, and that marked the second time in the past two seasons that the number one overall draft pick was traded within a year of being picked. If you, oh. yeah, if you remember Pablo Sandoval, right before this draft, the first round pick in 2010 was traded from uh, SoCal to Fort Duquesne in one of those deals I was and talking about. What's interesting about Sandoval is I originally had that pick, so that yeah, that is, it was sort of traded three times <laughs> within a. Yeah, it was, and that was sort of an underwhelming number one overall pick. But Jason Hayward, this was like a coronation. I mean, he was supposed to be, and of course you can make your rant about prospects, but he was, he was supposed to be the next coming of whomever. You know. Well, my my rant will be restrained because he's a hitting prospect. But yeah, uh, that's true, and he was hurt last year, which yeah, uh, which yeah. dug into his power, and so it remains to be seen whether he'll come back. Yeah, he's a talent, and then uh, with the number two pick, SoCal took Matt Latos. Sure, which he had a pretty fair season again this past season, but a very uh, an impact starter for last oh, year. Yeah, definitely. And then Baltimore surprised no one by taking Buster Posey third. Yeah, another injury uh, that happened to him, and uh, so I guess the jury's still out on him and Hayward. But uh, those were big, big names at the top of the 2011 draft, and then it sort of fell off from there. Yeah, well, no surprise at number four, Daniel Hudson. He had, I believe, an injury factor, but he was great when he could play. He was, and he and number one starter for Atlanta this year, so uh, a good long-term pick. And then, just just speaking from my perspective, I was hoping one of the next two players who were taken, I'll, I'll say who they were in a minute, but uh, I was hoping one of the next two players would last till my pick at number 10. Right. I thought, actually, I thought there was a pretty good chance one of them would, but... Uh, didn't happen, so 
Anyway, at number five, Colby Lewis went to Pittsburgh. He was a great starter for for that season. Yes. And Brett Myers went to State College at six. Another good starter. And and I remember around this time, the, the question after the big three was where would Pedro Alvarez go, which in retrospect had a terrible season, but he was seen as a very, very good prospect. And a lot of people thought he might go for – or five, and people thought he probably deserved to go four, maybe. Um, his stats for that season weren't as good. But he slipped past Pittsburgh and State College and and, and, Dunedin. and Dunedin at seven. It started to get a little tense in the draft room. Uh, it was like well, I, uh, the last guy in the green room at the NFL draft, and you didn't get that reference. but you know. uh, No, I don't care if, if football doesn't count but in life. But um, Lewis and Myers went, and then I thought one of them would fall to my pick probably because uh, Neil Walker went seven. We thought he'd go pretty high, and Pedro Alvarez fell all the way to eight. And we thought he'd go high, and then Starlin Castro went nine. What a nice pick that looks like. I think that'll be a good one. Yeah. yeah the need in getting a, a middle infield that, that'll probably hold up for a while. So, yeah. So then the tenth pick came, and I thought, what the hell am I going to do? Uh and That's what you think when every one of your picks comes up. You're like, oh. <laughs> Sorry. First thing. Uh, back to the subject of hand. Uh, I thought, yeah, so I, I, I didn't know what to do, so I took Quo, and that actually started a run on relievers. Um, yes, coming up, and then Adam at the next pick took, is this guy, are these guys stats of typo? He said, is this guy still there? Is this a typo? And he took Joe Thacker. Adam did the entire draft without even looking at the injury factor. I'm not sure he knew there was an injury factor. Yes, it, it is still undecided as to whether he knew that or not. But, but Joe Thacker had very incredible stats over a small number of batters faced. Right. So, yeah, we went. We finished out the round. Quo, Thatcher, Benoit, and then Bard was the first pick of the second round. So, <laughs> four picks. I started a run on relievers there, and probably at that time, I, I guess, there wasn't – yeah, I mean, the, the the top prospects had all gone. So Yeah, you always want to be at the front of the run rather than the end, I guess, although uh, State College did get a nice player for the long term in Daniel Bard. Yeah. It's closer this year. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, anything jump out at you from the second round there? Uh, not particularly, no. I mean, the second round went pretty much exactly as you thought it would. You know, the sort of mix of the mix of really good relievers who were left. I, I mean, I was kind of surprised that when I took Quo, I was surprised that I started a run. You usually have one, maybe two relievers go at the end of the first round, but we had four relievers gone by the end of the by the second pick of the second round. So right, right. We had a, you know, we had the typical mix of uh, you know good but not great starting pitchers, good but not great relievers, and good but good but, good but not great uh, position players. So yeah, the guys like Chipper Jones and Chris Johnson and these guys all went in the second round, which is which was expected. Yep. Chad traded a first-round pick to get Drew Stubbs at number two in the third round, which helped his team that year. Maybe he had a, you know, well, we'll see. He's still young. See how that works out. Yeah, um, yeah nobody else really stands out to me um, here in the third round or, or anywhere I can really see. Um, yeah, after those first names, uh, the quality of the draft kind of fell away a little bit, I think. Nothing really oh. notable. I think I should take a couple minutes to explain sure. because I'm going to give the I'm going to give the team scores now after the draft. 
Yes, and I, I, I just want to talk about a couple, just a couple of trades, but you go ahead first. Um, were the, well, if the trades were before the uh, uh, start of the season, go ahead and talk about them now. Yeah, well, one, one thing I remember, we had um, – so now I, I don't want to confuse you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compare the, the RBA weekend that we just had two weeks ago with the one we're talking about. Are you going to be able to follow? Go slowly. Okay. Um, unlike the this past RBA weekend, which we had at a great locale at, at uh, Jeff Flory in South in D.C., which I hope we're going to be back there next year and many years to come, uh, we did have RBA weekend 2011 here in Richmond um, at my apartment, and um, there was uh, there was a lot of uncertainty right before the draft because, as we said, Baltimore was rebuilding. And they didn't have any picks in this draft, and they were kind of looking to pawn off players. And two of the players that they, well, we thought, or at least I thought, Baltimore had two first basemen. And I guess at at some point it wasn't out of the question that they could contend. I don't know. But it was sort of common prevailing wisdom that they would trade one or the other. And those two first basemen were Adam Dunn and Paul Konerko. And Doug was here. And you were here. Yes, you were both here. Adam was, of course, not here. Um, But all the way up until before the draft, Doug was fielding offers back and forth about one of these first basemen or the other. And it was kind of one of those dramatic dramatic turn of events where we didn't know which one of them was going to be traded or for what or to whom. And you were kind of battling against Adam to try to get one of these first basemen. Do you want to? Uh, do you have any memories of that, or you want to contribute? Um, I thought that uh, a little bit embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> well, you haven't embarrassed yourself enough yet on this podcast. I, I, I thought that uh, Dunn was the better <laughs> long-term player. Yeah, he didn't have that great of a season, did he? Yeah, I thought Dunn was the better bet. Uh, then he decided to go to the American League, switch to DH, and suck anyway. Um, the, giving him the term suck for this past season is a great, great compliment. <laughs> that was a season for the ages. Yeah, so Adam traded for Canerco. I traded for Dunn, and Adam traded for Canerco. was the uh, upshot of all that. And, uh, but at least you gave up more for Dunn. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Yeah. So, but how did that happen? I mean, you were. I mean, that happened right before the draft, as I recall. Both trades happened right before the draft. Yeah. I mean, you know, right before the draft, things can be pretty chaotic. Uh, you've got, you know, I, I don't know, eight, nine of the coaches there, or yeah. what, and, and Adam wasn't even there. Yeah. Yeah, and everybody, and the ones who aren't there are are on uh, the phone or on Skype or something. So right. everybody's sort of talking at the same time, and the teams that are contending are looking to, you know looking to, to to fill in whatever holes they have uh, in their roster. So it, it can be pretty chaotic there right before the draft, and that's how this that's how 2011 was. And well, well, we had no idea that he was going to trade both of them. So he yeah. traded Dunn to you, and then we, he turned right around and traded, or maybe you thought he might, I don't know. We thought Doug might try to contend that year, as I recall. Yeah, maybe we did, yeah. But once he traded both of them, we thought, oh. Well, yeah, I, just, I mean, everybody in the world expected him to trade one of those guys because, you know, he's got two of them and, and uh, he could get a lot for one and then build a contender. Uh, but he traded both, decided to rebuild, and I'm not saying it was a bad move, but, uh, you know, it was, it was probably a perfectly fine move, but it was came as a surprise that he traded both. 
Yes. And he traded Ted Lilly to uh, Toilet for a second rounder also. So he really did have yeah. a lot to offload there. Okay, well, go ahead with what you were saying. That was all I wanted to mention. Okay, well, my scores, I, I want to say uh, um, t- this year they take into account the injury factor. The injury yes. was, was in effect in, in 2010. But Las I, Vegas. Huh? Las Vegas effect. Is that, that, that kind of effect. You're not allowed to talk. You're name-dropping Cooper's team. It's not my fault. That does not count. Using the word effect doesn't count as name-dropping Cooper's team. But it's your favorite team. Sorry, so, proceed. My lord. Uh, all right. What? They should pay me for this. Uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. We'll pay you per the quality that you provide. I should be getting a lot more than I am. Oh, yeah. No, I think you're adequately paid. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're interrupting my genius. Please continue. All right. Uh, so, anyway, what I was saying was that, uh, uh, okay, so in seasons past, um, I just created a lineup versus righties and a lineup versus lefties for every team and then a pitching staff, and bullpen, and I came up with a score. This year I took into account the injury factor. Now, the injury factor uh had been in effect in twenty uh in two thousand nine or ten. And I didn't do I didn't take it into account because uh I, I just didn't. Um uh, but this year I thought I would, you know, take the time, make make things a little more complex and get a better score, a more accurate score for each team. I also set the average equal to eighty. So the average is eighty, exactly. And um so at the beginning of the season Post-draft and all that, here were the scores. In the Larkin division, again, 80 is average, 120 is sort of borderline great, and uh, 40 is, you know, borderline horrible. Well, I think using your conversion, it's isn't it – well, I think 120 would be about a 50-win team and, and 40 would be about a 30-win team. I mean, if that that's just a very rough estimate. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Um, that's that's pretty accurate. Okay, so in the Larkin, I Arizona was a 115. Okay. Uh, I built really good teams in 2007, 2008, and 2010, and all of those teams were sort of low 120s. So this team was a little worse than the others, but uh, moreover, it had some holes. We'll, we'll get to those later. But it was, you know, it was really good. It actually, that ended up being the top score in the league, but there were some issues with that team. So anyway, it was a 115. Orlando was a 102. Sure. Uh, Fort Duquesne was a 26 in total, <clears throat> total rebuild mode, and Atlanta was a 53. Okay. Uh, in the pocket, we've got uh, Silver City was a was a 100. Okay. Um, State College was a 68. Uh, Dunedin was a 91. Yep. And Pittsburgh was a 92. This will be interesting to compare when we get to the replay results, but we'll get to that later. Yes, it will. And then in the uh, Clemente division, Elm Grove was a 106. Uh, Hang on. SoCal was a 104. Yeah, wow. SoCal was good. They really got kind of screwed. They won 43 games. I mean, yeah. Yeah, okay. I Actually, yeah, that's that's not too far off at at all. Uh, Vegas was a 70. Okay. Baltimore was a 32. 
Okay. Now, should we mention, did you have the the defense perfected at this point? Probably no, not. I don't think I did. I, there was a change. There was a bit of a change between uh, my score. Not not a big difference, but a small difference uh, from the beginning of the season to the end. I think I was kind of working on things. Okay. This year, yeah. Okay. Um, so that's how we came into the season. Um, a couple of things to note, I guess. Uh, some con- some consequential trades, I guess you could say, in in this uh, in the middle of this season. Um, but we did think, I'll just tell you my impressions, um, it did look like somebody was going to come out of the pocket, and I thought that was going to be a scrum from beginning of the season to the end, obviously. And it seemed like, based on that, that State College was actually the underdog to the other three. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Yeah, but uh, Silver State and Eden Pittsburgh all looked pretty close, and we thought that would be a good race. It, it was actually a pretty exciting setup because you and Orlando looked pretty good to be a race, and Elm Grove and SoCal looked pretty good to be a race. And we thought maybe that the wild card would come down to, you know, Orlando versus SoCal or, or you know, the loser of those divisions. Um, so it seemed like a pretty nice setup for that. Um, of course, Chad made his team better before the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. But Chad uh, employed a slightly different process. He decided to improve his team without giving up any draft picks. So that's what he did. He made two separate trades with Baltimore. And Baltimore had taken two relievers fairly high in the 2011 draft. They'd taken two of the best relievers in the league, actually, Benoit and Wagner. And, of course, once it once it became obvious that Baltimore wasn't going to go anywhere, and, in fact, they ended up with the number one pick, they traded both those relievers and Pudge Rodriguez, a backup catcher, to Chad. And that was his big weakness. Elm Grove's weakness at the beginning of the season was bullpen. They had really good starting pitching with Hernandez and Johnson and Hamels, and et cetera. Um, and they had impact bats, of course. They had Bautista, which goes without saying, and, you know, Mauer and Morneau. Um, so then they had a world-class bullpen once they, you know, almost as good as yours once they made those trades. And all they gave up were three players. Now, those three players all ended up being protected by Baltimore. They were Josh Beckett, Russell Martin, and Astrid Cabrera. Um so it's interesting to look at those trades. Chad really separated himself from SoCal by getting those relievers, and Doug uh, got three keepers up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was quite a – it was a fun season. There were a lot of trades. I mean, of course uh, – and, I, I, of course, I made a couple trades at the uh, at the deadline. Oh, yeah, we were going to talk about that. Yeah, certainly. Um well, the the way the season shook out, it, it, Orlando and SoCal were sort of disappointing. You, you and Elm Grove kind of asserted yourselves. Um, and then the weird thing about the pocket division was Dunedin and Pittsburgh just couldn't get off the ground. Neither one of those teams ever contended at all. It was strange. It was very strange. And I kept saying that, well, you know, in the same division, you really can't expect all four teams to contend, and somebody through luck is going to have to shake down to the bottom. Um, but it was weird. I mean, they really did both of them worse, especially Pittsburgh winning only 32 games in the end. But That was shocking, yeah. It was very weird. And so it ended up that we really didn't have all that great of a race other than the wild card. Every other every other race was sort of decided or, or putatively decided by the trading deadline. John, Silver City had just run out and they were decimating people. 
Yeah. Silver City was the number one. They finished with the uh, best yeah. record in the entire league with 52 wins. Yeah, they ended up with the number one seed. It just uh, ran away with that division, and you separated from Orlando, and Elm Grove separated from SoCal. So really the only race was the wild card, and it was really between State College and Orlando and SoCal. Um and surprisingly, State College looked like they were they had the upper hand. We kind of kept waiting for Orlando and so, or SoCal or both to kind of make a move, but State College never really relinquished it. Um, but so that being said, Chad beefed up his team a little bit. Um, State College made a trade with Las Vegas to get a uh, to get a couple of pitchers, but the two impact trades at the trading deadline were. You getting players from Las Vegas, from Cooper. And this was not to win your division. Your division was basically won. So why why don't you walk us through what happened there? Um, Sure, sure. We've talked in in the past, you know, prior podcasts and all that, about um, sort of like what I consider to be the optimal strategy and maybe what most people or some people don't. But – uh, we've talked like we've talked about how I mean I basically thought that like if you're going to make the playoffs n- under normal circumstances there's not much benefit in in you know in trying to put a in trying to make a playoff team into an absolute dominant team because right, right. you know any team can lose a short series that sort of thing right um, and so normally like normally if I had a team that was ranked 115 you know had a rating of 115 and was so far in the lead as mine was, uh, normally I wouldn't have done anything to try to make that team better. I would have said, okay, uh, we'll take the horses we've got into the playoffs uh, for 2011, keep all of our draft picks and keep all of our resources for the future and do the best we can in 2012. Right, and that's the way you normally would have approached it, like you say. I mean, that's the Hobbs way, some would say. Right, under normal circumstances, that's what I would have done. But, you know, strategy is situational. So um, my case was that, like, I had all these guys, like uh, Adam Dunn we talked about. He was was terrible. He wasn't going to be protectable. He was awful. He wasn't even going to qualify. Which tells more about how good he was. Adam Wainwright was on the DL for the whole year. Yes. yes. So I wasn't going to have him either. And a couple of the other players I had who I thought, you know, could be pretty good didn't quite – didn't have the season. Like o- Oswald got hurt. Well, we'll get to Oswald. Like actually, that, that, that we'll get to him later. But I had a couple of other players who didn't do as I had hoped they would. And um, so anyway, I, uh, I, I knew – I looked at my team and said, there's no way in hell I'm going to compete in 2012. Right, yeah. and if there's no way in hell that you're going to compete in 2012, you might as well go all in for 2011. So I, and I, and and I saw that the team I had in 2011 had some had some problems. There were two main problems with that team, even though it had the highest score in the league according to my scoring system. There were two glaring weaknesses with that team. One was we couldn't hit lefties really. Uh, oh, we, but you had some talent to put out there. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah. We, we couldn't hit lefties, and the other problem was we did. We had a weak number three starter. My number three was Pelfrey. Pelfrey. Right. Pelfrey was a league average starter. He'd be fine as a number four, but if you're a contending team, you know, like really trying to win it all, 
he was very weak as a number three. Your strength w- was the bullpen. I mean, your bullpen was unconscious, yeah. so you didn't need to upgrade that. You had, I mean, you, your bullpen ended up with an ERA of two. It's just, it was just sick. Well, that's that's the thing. My original plan was for either Lewis or Myers to fall right. my late first round pick. You know, not a whole lot of future talent there, but a lot of current value. And uh, I was gonna. My plan was to take one of those guys, have a monster rotation, and fill out the bullpen later. Those guys went. I had to take Quo, which, you know, he was a monster. No, no complaints there. But one point zero two ERA for you. Yeah, yeah, he was unhittable. But uh, that gave me a monster bullpen and a and a noticeably weak rotation after the top two. After so, the top two, yes. So I made two trades with Cooper. One was to get Roy Oswald as a number three starter, which was big. Yeah. Actually, it was my number two. Kane became my number three. Right. And, um. And to get Nelson Cruz, who I who I've always liked as a player, and um, he uh, he could hit lefties. He 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 worked out in a lot of ways. So uh, I made those two trades and basically completely punted the 2012 season. So that 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 you, team up. You so, put on your man pants. I believe, yeah, Cooper. I think he used that phrase, right? Man pants. Yeah, Jeffrey finally put on his man pants. Now, this is. What's that? Yeah, finally. Yeah. Finally. Finally. Well, wow. like, it took me a while. The rest of us wanted you to put on pants for a long time. We are like, gee. Um, so, now, I know I'm building a narrative here, but that's my job. So, this is somewhat spurious, but <laughs> you could say Chad sort of hedged a little bit. Now, you know, not to give away. That was the right move. Well, it probably was because now we see he might have the best team in the league this season. So you're saying, you know, you looked ahead and saw that you had a pile. Chad looked ahead and said, I want to save my draft picks because I'm going to have another contending team next year. Yeah, I looked ahead and, and saw that I had a pile, which is the technical term. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was technical. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, the scientific term for what I had yeah. and, and, and have. Yes, yeah. right. But you could say you, as we say, put your man pants on and made the trades, and Chad hedged, and maybe you ended up with a better team in 2011. Now, you could still say that, that both of you made the right strategy, but it's also, you know, you kind of went for it, made the Chad strategy, and Chad made the Hobbs strategy a little bit. Yeah, you were talking about that, how we had sort of reversed roles. I really like that. It's, it's, it's a good narrative. It is a good narrative, and it, and, it, and it's actually pretty accurate uh, because, um, well, given the situations that our respective teams were in, it actually made sense for both of us to reverse <laughs> to reverse our roles. So, yeah, you're probably right. And at, after the deadline. Well, one more one more parallel because you uh, you have come to us a bit inebriated. I just have to mention that the Oswald and Cruz trades were technically separate trades. <laughs> you yeah. you made the Oswald trade in the afternoon of the the trade deadline. I made the Oswald trade sometime around five p.m. Yeah. and I was in I was in D.C. visiting Aaron, and there was some kind of party that I was supposed to go to, so I went. And uh, on the way to the party, I think. Uh, memories can be a little hazy. But anyway, what? Yeah, yeah. Um, I got some mushrooms. What? Oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway. Or not. Or not. Maybe I do. Oh, who knows? Uh, anyway, I made the trip. What was I talking about again? Uh, colors. Colors. Uh, anyway, I made I made the Oswald trade about 
I want to say it was like around 5 p.m. I was on my way to this party. And uh, so, you know, that trade went through. And then I went to this party and was hanging out with a bunch of people for five hours, whatever it was. And um, I drank a lot and uh, I kept getting these emails from Cooper and we sort of went back and forth. And eventually I said, you know what, I've had a lot of beer. <laughs> uh, Nelson Cruz is a good prospect as a player. He'll help me a lot this year. Oh, hell, let's just do it. So I made the trade. <laughs> and that was basically what you said to me. You either – I can't remember. You either texted me or called me. I can't remember which one. I think I texted you. You might have texted me. but And I think the text said something like, I'm drunk at a party. I like Nelson Cruz, and why not? <laughs> <laughs> that could really be taken the wrong way. Yeah, well, especially when it's you texting. I mean, I'm sorry, I probably did think this way. I was like, oh, oh, RBA trade. Oh, oh. the only thing prevented from being taken the wrong way was that it was me. Yeah, right. So I just thought that was funny. You were just like, ah, oh, well, I'm wasted. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, and then you know, I mean, uh, that I, I I wanted to actually draft Nelson Cruz when he came into the league, and uh, it didn't work out that that time. So. Yeah, he was a good short and long run player for me, and I knew I would have to pay for him because of that. But uh, you know, it was a, it was a trade that made sense for both uh, for both Cooper and you know and me. All right, so um, that so takes I, us into the end of the season, I guess. Yeah. So after the deadline, let me update the scores really quickly. Please do. I was after the after I made those two trades, I was a one thirty two. Uh, 132 is top 10 all time. It's not really top four or five, but it's top 10. Um, Adam was a 105. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fort Duquesne was a 27, and Atlanta was a 55. Some of these, actually, what's interesting about the way I do the scores now is you don't have to make a trade for your score to change. Right, because you recalibrate the average to 80, right? Yeah, right. It, it, yeah, every team's score is dependent upon the league average. Right, and right. if I increase my score by five points, the team I'm trading with doesn't necessarily decrease theirs by five. So the average can change. That might cause a team to go up or down by a couple of points. Anyway, um so that's different from the way I did it before. Uh, John was a 98 from 100. I'm, I don't think he really did anything. It just happened that way. Uh, now, State College made a couple moves and bumped themselves up to a 79, so they became a league average team, at least according to my scores. Okay. Uh, uh, Dunedin became an 88, and uh, Pittsburgh became an 89. Not a lot of change there. I don't by know. standing pat. And it looks like teams are losing like two or three points by yeah. standing pat. Right. Uh, Elm Grove, which sort of makes sense that they would go down rather than up. Um, the strong team, yeah. Well, anyway. Elm Grove, Elm Grove went from a 106 to a 122. Yep. I was really scared to play them. I did not want to play them in the finals. Oh, I imagine you, yeah, you should have been. They were strong. They managed to, they, they gave up a lot of their future, but in the, it made total sense for them. They kept their draft picks. They still had a good core of protected players, you know. Yes. And then they ended up with a 122. Vegas ended up – Vegas dropped from a 70 to a 21. Yeah, that was – they – yeah. Losing Oswalt and Cruz. And they – well, they traded a, a starter to – uh, John, and they trade a starter to uh, Jeff, the other Jeff also. So, I mean, they lost three starters in Cruz. That's, that'll yeah. do that. Baltimore was an 11, and SoCal was a 105. So, uh, anyway, make, I guess uh, we'll go to the – we'll talk about the actual season and then the replay, I guess. I can't remember how we – what order. Well, we you did. just did that, so let's let's run through the replay here. Uh, yeah, I think we do the replay results now. All right. 
it was uh, it was interesting. I was typing these out, and the the first thing that that jumped to to my eye was if you look at this, there is a huge cluster in this replay. Half of the league is between thirty nine point nine and forty one point one. Specifically, and I'll start off. I'll go division by division, but the Pucket Division. What uh, a cluster! The Pucket Division is amazing, but let's start off with the Larkin here. All right, okay. Um, so just uh, uh, Arizona wins the Larkin again. We do fourteen of these things, fourteen replays. Um, Arizona averaged forty nine point two wins per right. replay. That that ended up winning the replay. Barely over Elm Grove, which is which is what your uh, scores would bear out. You uh, you won fifty one in in the season, so that was eh, roughly right on there. Yeah, and we made the playoffs t- uh, twelve and two thirds times. Uh, yes, there was a three way tie in which two teams went. Right, as I recall. Yeah, right. Whoever. Yeah, right. A three way tie for the division lead and wild card. <laughs> right, right, right. Thirds came from yeah twelve and two thirds. Uh, in second place in the Larkin, not surprising to me was Orlando. They kind of they didn't make the playoffs in the real thing, but they averaged... <laughs> you're, you're, you're disparaging them, but they won exactly the same number of games in the replay as they did in the regular season. No, I'm not disparaging them. I, I think... I mean, no, no, no. I'm just, I, I, I should have said you're disparaging their, their uh, play in the real season. Oh, you're, yeah. You're, yeah, but they, they actually won 45 games in the real season and 45 in the replay. It just... 45 should have been good enough. Yeah, actually, they were third in the league in the replays. Yes, yes. They made, in fact, they made the playoffs nine and two-thirds times. Right. So it wasn't that they underachieved. It was just that a couple of other teams overachieved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Atlanta, 40.6. Yeah. And Fort Duquesne, 33.5. They were rebuilding. Uh, Atlanta actually made the playoffs one and two-thirds times. Atlanta... Yeah, they only won 29 games in the regular season, but they won 40.6 in the replay, which, they, I, yeah, 11.6 wins more. It's a huge disparity. Now, this is an interesting story, the Pucket. Very interesting. The Pucket in the replays. I, I thought it would be a great battle for the playoffs, but the replays was even a greater battle. I mean, the, the, um, the winner of the Pucket division was, in fact... Well, it was a tie, right? Or State College knows them out. State College knows them out. Wow. State College averaged 41.1 wins. 41.1. What's interesting about the Puckett division in this set of replays is that the division was completely average. And what I mean by that was not that, like, the average team in the division was average. I mean that the whole division was average. The entire division was between 40 and 41 wins. Every team was average. It's amazing. It's Uh, crazy. I mean, you could never think to get a replay to turn out that way. No, State College wins the division. Wins the division with 41.1. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, that's almost impossible. A 508 winning percentage. That's nearly impossible. (laughs) Now, what's interesting is Dunedin also finishes with 41.1 and a 507. Yeah. And the funny thing is, in the 14 replays, State College, even though they quote-unquote won the division with the highest winning percentage, uh, they only made the playoffs in four of the 14 chances, and Dunedin made it five and a half times. Right. So by that metric, uh, Dunedin actually wins, but we go by average. Um, and overall there were only 15 playoff berths out of that division. So the yeah. Puckett division got the wild card once out of 14 replays and got the wild card in the regular RBA season. 
Yeah, exactly. And then Silver City, the team that won 52 games in the actual season, and they were a good team. I do think they underachieved in these replays. The programs are different, you know, yeah. your program and, and APBA baseball. But uh, Silver City averaged 40.8. Crazy. And Pittsburgh, 39.9. The difference between wow. first, the difference between first and worst was. 1.2 average wins per replay. That's insane. Dude. In that division, in that division, and then in the Clemente, Elm Grove finishes second with 49.0. I was 49.2. They and did make they, the playoffs a third of the time more than you. Yeah, that's right. They made the playoffs more than me. They they made the playoffs 13 out of 14 replays. Correct. Uh, they were way ahead of uh, the second place team in the Clemente division was SoCal at 40.9. I yeah. may be a little better, but um, they did make it four times. Uh, so there were three wild cards coming out of the Clemente. Baltimore, 33.9, and Vegas, 1.1. Vegas, just well, they gutted their team, so we played it with the end-of-the-season yeah. rosters, which is why that happened. I mean, ugh. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. they ended up even worse than Baltimore. And I guess... I guess it's time to close things off by talking a little bit about the uh, the actual season, right? The playoffs. Yeah, the the uh, yeah the playoffs. So, uh, well, let's talk. I guess we played. Um, yeah, we played your series first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, in that one, well, uh, you know, I always like to talk about the stat that in the first ten seasons of the RBA, we had. Oh, how many? 18 series, I think. Right? Yeah, I think we had 18 series, and nobody had ever swept another team in the in the uh, in the RBA playoffs, the championship, whatnot. And uh, we were adorned with our first series sweep of all time, and still the only. I mean, it just happened. But uh, you swept State College in the first round. Uh, everything went my way. Yeah, that's all I can say. I mean, I, I was favored. Uh, but, you know, a couple of things here. Um, I mean, A, I, I, A, you never expect a sweep, obviously. I don't care. First one we've ever had. Yeah. You know, State College was an average team according to my score, but my scores could be wrong. True. I mean, B, B, there's the fact that my scores can be wrong. Uh, C, I got my, I had gotten my ass kicked by a team that I thought was average the season before. Correct. So you were very guarded coming into this. Yeah, it was very good. that's a good word for it. I was very guarded coming in, and, um, you know, it's not like State College didn't have weapons. They had some weapons for sure. Sure, uh, yeah. You know, I, I just I, I tried to play the series close to the vest because, um, you know, well, as the favorite, that's kind of what you're supposed to do, but I knew that I could very easily lose that series. And... Um, so, uh, but it just happened that a lot of the bounces went my way, and there have been other series when you know, well, Baltimore the year before where bounces just didn't go my way, and that that happens. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, we should mention Casey McGee and Pat Burrell. It was just funny, <laughs> both of them going O for the series, turning into the personal whipping boys of each respective manager, and it was a very fun series to play. I'll always remember Game Four when. Uh, the, uh, it was just devolving, <laughs> and we had a great time on uh Oh, game four was – I had had a lot of beer. Uh, yeah, I think everybody but me had. It was uh, a recurring theme, me having a lot of beer. And, you it know, does seem that way, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
But it was a very fun series. And every game, I mean, even though you swept, every game was close. You didn't win any game by more than three runs. Yeah, I know. It was the most unsweep-like sweep. It, it, every game was very close. Like, it was the cl- it was a very close series. <laughs> it just happened that every game I won by one or two runs. Yeah, it was, it was very entertaining. And uh, and then you had to wait to see if you were going to play Silver City or Elm Grove. Probably, you, as you said, you were frightened of Elm Grove. You didn't want any part of them. Yeah, I was hoping... I was hoping Silver City would would win the series for a couple of reasons. Number one, Chad already had four titles. <laughs> True. Uh, although me versus Chad would have been a fun, fun final. Yes, I've been stripped of that for two straight seasons. Now. I know. Nice. I that, that, that would have been a lot of fun. I mean, that 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 would have been great. Tell but, me about it. Yeah. Well, whatever. But but you were you were very happy that John and I, you know, that the, the, the John it was very entertaining. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And John, you know, so Elm Grove had four championships. John had one, I had one, so both, you know, we would, if John had won, which he did, we would have been battling to see, you know, which team was the first to get two, other than the second to get two. And, and of course, you know, John and I are friends for 20 years and we talk a lot of shit on each other, so there's that too. Uh, This was a a great series because... uh, um, in game one, it was tied 5-5 to going to the bottom of the ninth, and Troy Tulowitzki hit a walk-off homer. And then he could have hit a walk-off homer in game two in the 11th inning, but Chad walked him in front of Ibanez, and Ibanez hit a walk-off three-run homer. So John hit walk-off homers to win in games one and two. It was, yeah. and Chad was just kind of stunned. And, uh, and then John came out and, and put four runs on him in the first inning of game three, it was amazing. I mean, I mean, John had a good team. Like he really did. But oh, Chad, he smacked the ball. Yeah. Chad had a great, or at the very least, borderline great team. Cardinal Kryptonite. That's what we call John now. It, yeah, that's, he, that's the narrative he's given me. Chad is only his only two losses ever in the RBA playoffs, both to John. Yeah, I know. That's that is really incredible. Uh, yeah. So John took a three nothing lead in the series, and then. Beat the hell out of him in Game Four to keep the thing alive. Yeah, Bautista hit two homers, more no homered. But then, uh, then the return of the shutout. Of course, uh, the lore of the RBA is in 2004. John um, rode 21 straight shutout innings to stun Chad in that championship, and then Ricky Romero came out and did it one last time in Game Five, shutout Chad two to nothing. And then, uh, yeah, and then we went to the RBA championship. Hmm, RBA championship during RBA weekend. Yeah, we did. Much sought after matchup between you and John, and uh, I wrote the recap, I guess, about a week ago, but it was uh, really the only way I could describe it was the first two games. I mean, if you could have just extrapolated those two games, it would have been a a hell of a series. Well, you know, the funny thing was, I mean, he beat me in game one. Uh, He beat me four to two, and, uh, and then he took an early... Well, not an early lead, but he t- actually wasn't an early lead. I'm looking at it now. Ga- in game two, I had an early lead, but then he took a three to two lead on me going into the ninth. Right. You. It looked like you were going to even the series, but then he he stormed back again. Because remember, in game one, he he won by scoring three runs in the bottom of the eighth. Mm-hmm. So it looked like he'd done it again. He scored three runs between the seventh and the eighth to take a three two lead, and you were uh, you were a little despondent over there. When he was when he went up three to two on me, in the uh, when he went up three to two on me in the bottom of the eighth, you know, going into the ninth inning of game two, and he'd, al- bleak. And he'd already won game one. Yeah, I felt much the same way that John 
probably felt in his series against Chad in 2004, right? Unless I have my history wrong, which is quite possible. Didn't Chad take an early lead in that series? He was up two games to one. Okay, well, that's, I guess, sort of what I'm thinking of. Yeah, because I remember you talking about John getting up off the mat or something. And yeah, like, Chad was up two games to one, and then John threw two straight shutouts and beat yeah. him in game six after it's that. Sort of, sort of like that, I guess, and not quite as deep into the series, but close. Um, well, it bleak. Yeah, I mean, it, you were staring at a 2 nothing deficit, right? It, I mean, that would have been... Uh, yeah, well, I was staring at a 2 nothing deficit, and then I scored one in the top of the ninth to tie it. And then we Pat Burrell, Homer. Yep. Yeah, and then I won it in the tenth. And and you uh, just never looked back. Yeah, and from that point, I, yeah, I won game three with an 11 spot in the first inning. Which, that was just numbing. I mean, John was just sitting there. He didn't know what to do. I, yeah. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, I didn't either, actually. <laughs> was, yeah. I was like, what, what, I was like, what's going on here? And, the uh, only double-digit half-inning we've ever had in the RBA championship or the RBA playoffs. We've had very few in RBA history, for that matter. Yeah, and game four, I won 5-3, to three, but it was, I mean, it was, a well, 5-3 is a close game, but, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, and that was a big one. I mean, he could have tied it at two. That's a pivotal game. Yeah, he pitched Lily that game because he got pissed off at um, – or actually, no, Lily was a bit of a surprise. He hadn't pitched him in the season uh, series before. Right. We thought he might pitch Pavano, but I think he thought he had an advantage throwing a lefty against you. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, Lily had a, a really horrible reverse split, and my lefty lineup was somehow full of left-handed batters. That was a fluke. Um, but anyway, we, we were able to hit Lily pretty hard because of that, I think, and at least in large part. And then um, in game five, yeah, game five, that's right, was nine to two. Green yeah, back. you jumped out really early on him again, and it was just over. It turned into a bit of a rout, but, um, but you know, uh, John had a, a very good team. Like, as much shit as I like to talk on him, he uh, he had a really good team. He I certainly he did, a, yeah. Yeah, he had, a, he had a really good team. And uh, so, yeah, I made it to two, to two championships, which is nice. Uh, I'm still two behind Chad, and <laughs> who knows, I might be three behind Chad after this year. Yeah, but you did win the you won the replay, you won the plaque. 2011 was your uh, your season, your second plaque and uh, now you'll be watching from the sidelines in 2012 while somebody else wins it. No, I'm going to win it. Yeah, you've got it. You've got it right in hand. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you, you don't even need to actually uh play the season. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else to say about the 2011 season? I guess we'll uh, maybe we'll try here pretty soon to come back and do a season preview once we uh, once we get all the information and the spreadsheet done. Do we want to try and do that? Yeah, I would love to do a uh, a uh, I would love to do a season whatever whatever you call it. <laughs> I would love to do a, 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 a I can't call it a preseason preview or a season preview or whatever because how about just a season preview? Uh, sort of. The season's already started, though. Um, but anyway, it's yeah. a it's a it's a view from preseason, though. It's from early in the year. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. How about that? Um, all right, we can do an almost preview. <laughs> I think we're getting a little too in depth there. Whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, but I yeah no, I think that'd be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm we're we're both in the well, you're in the process of getting uh, the information. Profiles, that's right. Yeah, managers' profiles, and I'm putting together some stuff, so yeah, we should, and well, yeah, we'll see if we can get some other coaches in on this. It'd be nice to have uh, three or four coach, you know, whatever. It would be. 
Yeah. So we'll see what we can do. All right. Well, until then, RBA, this is uh, me and good old Jeff Hobbs signing off. Tell them bye, Jeff. I'm good old Jeff Hobbs, and I will see you next time.